Good morning from Michigan. This morning's Dharma talk is along the lines of the the topics that I gave the four monks that gave uh, uh, novice monks that gave talks at the monastery. Perhaps some of you may have heard those talks. They were around a half an hour apiece. And I asked them to talk about their teacher, which is, of course, this guy, one of them, perhaps, maybe the only one, talk about the teaching and how that's helped them and talk about the community or how, how that has helped them. And I refer to it as my teaching, uh, the teacher and my community. Of course, I don't own anything. So not really. It's a referential thing rather than I own someone in case you were puzzled by that. So people, uh, each one of the monks, as if you heard those, handled those in uh, quite a bit different ways, depending on their experience with uh, Buddha's Dharma, with the teacher and with the community. Um, I think they did okay. I think they may have been able to step into that a little bit more deeply in a more personal way. So I'm going to go through the same thing, maybe take a little bit longer, and then I'll also open it up as I ask them to do for what we call mountains and rivers or questions and answers. It's just a way of um, saying Q&A. Uh, my situation with my teacher, I started reading about Buddhism in 1960 when I was in the Marine Corps. I read uh, Zen Flesh, Zen Bones by Paul Reps. Uh, did not understand it then, still don't understand it. And I continue to read until I, uh, on Buddhism, lots of other uh, topics, related topics, you could say, until I met Chogyam uh, uh, Rinpoche began and became a student of his. And the way in which he was valuable to help me was that he was able to look at me and meet me where I was at and not correct me, but just tell me, I could do it. There was no criticism, even though I'm sure I don't have a recording of it. I'm sure I let him because I, I, he, I felt like he was the first person. And I'd met a few people, including a psychiatrist trying to understand my issues and problems. The first person I met that I after after reading Cutting Through Spiritual Materialism, I felt like if anybody can help me, this guy's going to be able to help me. So I kind of let him have it. He listened respectfully. <laughs> did not correct me, said, keep sitting. And I expressed my dismay, my difficulty, and did not indulge me in any way other than to say, you can do it. Then said it with quite a bit of force. And I'm not saying that would be helpful for others, but it was exactly uh, what I needed to hear. Having had a, a very difficult father, stepfather, my my actual biological father was killed when I was four in the Second World War. He was shot off the back of the tank in Germany, 26 years old. So I didn't have the benefit of, of his help, uh, assuming he could have helped me. And my stepfather was uh, not any help at all, at all that I could see anyway. And then, of course, the Marine Corps was a different way of handling uh, uh, people's emotions or feelings or struggles, as I'm sure I don't have to go into that. So this is the first man that I met that was not full of himself. That that actually inspired me. And to do what? To find out what this is, to find out who I am and what this world is about. That was my inquiry at the time. Up until that time, I've been trying to establish an identity by being an artist. I wanted to be a great artist, a famous artist. It was difficult for me to face that that was probably not going to happen. That hasn't stopped me from producing art somewhat. So the value there of the, that teacher was that, uh, and I only had four private interviews with him. Well, not much. The value of that teacher is that he met me where I was at and he was genuine and wanted nothing from me, asked me for nothing. He could have. At the time, because of the way I felt, I would have given him anything. But he didn't ask. And as far as the teaching, to go to the next one, the Dharma, that I, as I said, started running into that uh, in 1960 and kept reading everything I could. Alan Watts and W.Y. Evans Wentz and 
Alexandra, David, Neil, I don't know if you refer to any of those people, but there weren't many, there might've been a half a dozen books on Buddhism that you could read. I'm sure there were books in Buddhism on the in the university, but you didn't have access to that. You only get access to that unless you're a member of their thing, rather than turning that, opening that up to everyone. So then uh, after having tried to find a way to practice, I actually started practicing in 1974 with uh, uh, Bruce, who teaches our when, uh, Friday class, Bruce and Terry. I think he must have been about eight years old then. That's an exaggeration. He, I'm sure he was 22. So we studied a little bit, mainly practiced together. We sat down and spent around nine hours a day doing a, what's what was called Nyintan. So that was the beginning of actually, uh, other than studying on my own, of studying with someone else. We didn't study together. We just meditated together. Uh, but that was the beginning of, of the power of Sangha. So that was happening a little at the same time. Teaching came first, then I ran into, met the teacher, and then I met his Sangha. In other words, the people who were inspired by him to train their minds and donate uh, uh, a lot of time to uh, something that is not conventionally rewarding, not conventionally rewarding. So studying the Dharma on my own, which I'd done somewhat over the years, studying lots of things, I realized that interacting with others uh, to study the Dharma, study uh, Cutting Tree Spiritual Materialism and other books. And uh, at that time, uh, there were, I think, uh, three uh, Vajradhatu seminaries had taken place. So I had access to those books, was reading those over and over again, and reading Cutting Through over and over again. So there was a so the teaching, I've, the teacher, um, and the community. And the community is very, very important. And it's not particularly emphasized in other communities that I've been involved with. They just, not that they don't talk to each other, but usually it's uh, socializing. And then when they could talk to each other about the Dharma, they're told to be quiet. In other words, practice some kind of a silence practice, which uh, I did myself for decades because I did what I was told until I realized that Sangha may need to talk to, the Sangha may need to talk to one another instead of be quiet all the time and pretend that they're introverts. Introverts love that silence. They're the ones that shake their finger at you at a, at a retreat and say, shh. Functional speech, noble silence. I killed two or three people who said that to me. I won't tell you where they're buried. No, of course, I'm being silly, but I'm just saying that, that it, 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 it never made sense, but I kept thinking, well, it will. I'll just keep, I'm just going to do what I was told and I'll just keep practicing and eventually I'll, well, it never did make sense. And even, we were even doing it when the beginning, uh, when we were kind of setting up uh, the, the monastery, I was still going along with that. I'd say, well, it's a form. We'll just go ahead and go along with it. But it just eventually just uh, my uh, energy, my wish to continue that walking, uh, uh, guided walking meditation or walking meditation as a group. I thought uh, what we should do as a group is study together and uh, get to know one another. And when we're if you're sitting in the zendo and you're facing a wall, that's silence enough. When you get up, it's only natural to talk to others. I have noticed that over time that even orioki, which is supposed to be dead silence, uh, if you can talk a little bit in there, it's a hell of a lot easier to learn how to do that practice of eating together. And especially since everyone is an adult, the people seem to be fairly quiet. Not, not a lot of uh, chatter going on. People are involved with their which uh, where to put their chopsticks and how to hold them and how not to point them to other people and other things like that. So can't do this without a teacher. Can't do this without a teaching. And I don't think you can do this without a Sangha. Even if that Sangha is only one other person. So I'll conclude there with that part of it and, and uh, we'll do 
open it up for mountains and rivers or questions. It doesn't have to be about this. It could be about uh, mountains and rivers or questions about anything. So if it's about this material, I'm happy to respond. And if it's about some something that takes us in another direction, that's certainly all right also. Shukabang, how do you talk about personal experience in a way that's deeper, that's helpful to other people? Don't. That's how you do it. Don't do it. Don't talk about your deeper experience with anyone. You hear me talking about my deeper experience? Shukabang, earlier in the talk you mentioned that you felt like we could have talked about that in a deeper way that's what i'm referring to okay well think about that for a while did you feel did you feel personally picked on there <laughs> no I, I like the response of don't yeah okay good yeah and that's a good one when i say when i say in a deeper way i don't necessarily mean a personal about what's happening with you personally I'm saying uh, it could have it could have uh, spread out a little bit more, but you know I don't have any. Uh, I think you all. I think all the talks were good. I don't have any. Uh, everyone did a good job. I thought very good, and so I don't have any. I don't have any uh, criticism or construct as they say constructive criticism that's helpful. I think uh, I think repetition is what's what is important to learn there. Go ahead, Bushin. Bushin bowing. Is it is being introverted an obstacle on the path? No, no. And, and being introverted, is just a way of talking about the way personality manifests in some situations. I, I don't think you can lock anybody down into that area. But people tend to, if you set up something where everybody has to be quiet for a certain length of time, kind of artificially, not that sitting down facing a wall and doing nothing isn't somewhat artificial, but it's not near as artificial as being around other people who are doing things and moving around and doing dishes uh, or whatever, and not talking to them. That's way too artificial, as far as I'm concerned. And, and what it does is it is it creates the, the, the feeling or the belief that you're training your mind. And actually, you're not. You're just reinforcing ignorance. You're actually getting in the way of dependent origination with some artificiality that makes you, the ego mind, feel like you're more mindful. So therefore, the, the people who are extroverts are onto that. They don't like it. They want to talk. And they will talk. And then the people who are introverts will correct them because they think I've been there. I've, I've, I've been with countless groups of people for, you know, intensive training seminar where you get there and you don't get to meet anybody. Here's a person from Europe uh, at one in, uh, in Chicago or something that traveled just for that. And you don't get to get even get to know them. That is the opposite of Sangha to me. And, but this is how it was set up. And it was set up by a, uh, a trunk parampache. He just came out of a out of a monastery situation and escaped from uh, Tibet, taken over by the Chinese. So I'm sure running into the Western culture was probably a, pretty much a, like walking into a what do they call those things? Insane asylum. That's right. <laughs> so he's not. He he just did the best he could. I wouldn't. You know, I wouldn't say that. And then the Zen tradition. He had that as a as something that had been in the West for a while. And of course, the Zen with their kind of macho kind of culture for their men, you know, is more the comes out of the, the Bushido code of, you know, lots of really strong discipline for these masculine warriors and samurai people. I'm not against that. I love samurai movies. It's great. They're great. They're entertaining. But we don't have to do that. We can train our minds as they are in our society with our culture. This is why we don't have nuns. We have monks, male, female. Want, want to be ordained, then fully ordained, then you're going to be a monk, not a nun. Yeah, so if, if we tend toward being <clears throat> introverted, yes, um, does it make it more difficult for us to see things as they are? Not, not at all. Not at all. And I would say just relax. There's no, when I use that, it's descriptive. It's not a judging thing. Um you, people sometimes uh, think I'm an extrovert, so because I talk so much. But I would say, you know, you uh, in, in that situation. Interestingly, when the when the the silence, the noble silence, actually is noble, that's when you just don't talk. But you don't have a a, a big name on there, silence only on your thing, uh, some kind of formation. It's just ridiculous to do that to people, especially adults. I mean, if they're eight years old. Uh, Maybe you could do something with the sound. 
But yeah, you can, uh, you, I'm sure you've noticed, uh, Bushin, if you've been at uh, the all day or uh, retreats, or if you've been uh, at the monastery when there's uh, been longer retreats that if you're not meditating and you're, you can talk or not. If you're, if you're quiet, people will respect that. If you don't want to talk, they're not going to make you talk. As, I mean, I'm talking about monastery residents, people who are practicing a lot are not going to try to draw you into some kind of chatter. You get to, it's more natural. Is that what you were looking for? Yeah, I, I just, I know that for myself, sometimes um, I, I don't know, I guess I fall somewhere in the middle, but I just, I know that I tend toward not talking a lot of times or not saying anything or not asking something because it feels forced for me to do that. So mm -hmm. I only really say something when I have something to say. So I'm just looking for, you know, I, I guess, you know, if I were asking just for me, like, should I be saying more? Maybe is another question. No. Yes. Uh, so question about your teacher, when or how did you realize that you had received a transmission from Chogyam Trungpa? Well, when I met him, I didn't even know about that there was some kind of, I mean, I suspected it by reading Zen texts and so on, but there was only a few uh, books on Tibetan Buddhism even available back in the 60s, in the early 70s. So the whole idea of transmission, I didn't realize that I actually got pointing out instructions from him directly. Uh, but I didn't know it for years because I kept trying to understand what what this was, uh, what, what was happening, who I was, and what my uh, what how to deal with my own uh, uh, disturbances and craziness and uh, difficult thought patterns and so on. So it, it took a while, but it took a lot of sitting meditation, and I also think that I got a lot of help from not directly from the sangha of being a bunch of little teachers all teaching me things, but interacting with people that were trying to train their minds that sometimes were more difficult than someone else, but you, you're in a community where you, you work with them anyway. And uh, you find out that the difficulty quite often is what you think about what's happening rather than what's actually happening. Very often we tend to, if you're around somebody that, uh, that is training their mind, um, probably can be very helpful over time. And in, in a way of showing you how you tend to, Instead of meet people where they're at, as they actually are, we meet them where we think they're at. We, it's so uh, kind of um, interacting with people that, that were on a different frequency from them, it, it triggers uh, the insecurity in our own mind, which is, of course, the ego, uh, feeling like it needs to know something that it can't quite figure out or understand. Um, I'm not sure if that covered uh, your uh, if you had more to that or uh, Chisho? Uh, yeah, so it triggers a follow-up question. Uh, the way you're describing dealing with the other Sangha members seems to suggest talking about each other's practice. No. Uh, which you just said you should, okay. That's no. what I wanted yep, to no. ask what it meant. Uh, you know, you do that, I, I think you can do that in the context of book study. Uh, some of that might you might be studying at, and you might you might be studying uh, the thirty verses, or you might be studying uh, uh, so the way Trungpa Rinpoche talks about working with negativity, or you may I mean any one of the the things that we uh, work with as a teaching, and they're all it's all over the place. It's all over the Buddhist teaching. We study everything that comes up, just about uh, generally speaking, and specifically. But no, it's not necessarily about sharing your 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 uh, what's happening in your uh, mind stream. Although by putting, bring that back a little bit, although there are times when that's the only response that will come out. That's the only one, but it needs to, it needs to come out dependently. It needs to, it needs to have actual permission from the environment to doing that rather than you're going to talk about your enlightenment experiences or your confusion experiences, which is very similar. I should say, which are very similar. <laughs> So as, I, as you heard me say, and it, it's kind of a silly thing that I say, but people tend to repeat it. So it certainly means a lot to me and it probably means a lot to others. Don't do anything unless you have to. If you're doing something you don't have to do, uh, you're, you're just, you're just uh, um, 
it's just a kind of a, a random uh, a casino. You're just gambling on stuff. Don't do it, kid. Uh, keep it, keep it close, but don't, don't cling to it and, uh, and allow your life to show up in, in your awareness, not just in your thought process. Thought process, as soon as you start to think or uh, analyze or anything starts to go like this, it might be very clear relatively in itself. Its own structure of thought is very clear, but it, it you're blocking out all the other senses. Uh, you know, the, the true understanding is to receive. Uh, just receive. That's what all these nerve endings are for. They're not to fill up with the uh, clog up with thought patterns about what you're receiving. There's a question on YouTube from Hakaran. Hakaran, yes. She asks, what is happening when I feel indifferent to things I used to feel passionate about? You're growing up. I mean, I, I, I could be specific about it. I mean, there are some things that might be uh, have some other kind of a, of a, a structure to it that, that would be more personal to you. But uh, less passion about things uh, probably is helpful. That doesn't mean that you won't be very passionate about some things. But a lot of the things uh, tend to have a, a rotation that's happening uh, in a different way. It, it, it doesn't really get fulfilled so much is it seen without judgment. Again, I'll say this again, without judgment or evaluation, it's just, it doesn't work anymore. It doesn't make any sense. If you were to, if you were to talk about it that way, it just isn't, isn't necessary. You might've been, uh, that passion area might've been just to uh, help you to feel more alive. The ego wants to feel very alive. Oh, I feel so alive when I'm doing this or that. This is just baloney. And I'm not trying to hurt your feelings, not yours or anyone's. But it, look closely at those emotions. Look very closely because anytime you're emotional about anything, uh, the, the sense fields, the whole sensorium, nothing is separate. So therefore, anything is, any energy that's going any this direction, that energy comes away from everything else that's happening. And on this path, your energy, if you're, if you're serious about this path, what's going to happen, maybe not this week, maybe not this year, but it's, this is about others. This is about dedicating yourself to others. Put others before yourself. And you could say, are there others? And I would say, ultimately, no. But that's the only way we can get, that's the only way we can work with the self-centeredness is to take some of that energy that goes into me, 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 and my stuff, what I want, what I don't want, what I don't want to happen, what I want to happen, and how, how I'm doing, how I'm doing, how I'm feeling. And put that towards others, help others. That doesn't mean you have to lift a finger. It's that it's the intention, and not not the, the the look how much look how much I'm helping everything, how you appear, how it is, and how it appears. It appears uh, can appear anyway because it's dependently arisen. But how it is can't be. There's no. It's choiceless. How how it is. It is not separate. And if you feel or believe otherwise, then that's. I'm going to interfere with that. It's up to you to do that. But you might have a few years left to live with that. Uh, Michael Reed from Kalamazoo asks, how and where did you meet Chogyam Trungpa? I met him in, uh, let's see, I met him in Chicago uh, in I, I don't know the exact date, but it was in either it was uh, either very late 1973 or early 74. It was in, in the winter, so I think it was around the holidays. So it's probably probably December, but I don't know for sure. Maybe January uh, in Chicago. I had a, had an interview with an interview with him. So uh, Elna, did you had a Elna? You had a question. talk about the Buddha, the Dharma, and the, the Sangha. I do. Uh, the category of teacher, is, it, is the teacher like a stand-in for the Buddha, or is the teacher explaining the Dharma? So the, 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 the teacher is, first of all, a Sangha, another person who's uh, part of the community. And uh, then the teacher, depends on how, who's doing it and how you work with it, then the, uh, then the, uh, uh, the, the person can function as a as a, uh, a representative or as an aspect of the Buddha, 
but actually, you, from the ultimate point of view, you're the Buddha. But you, you may need help seeing that because sometimes the idea about that seems to, oh, I'm not that great. I'm not as great as the Buddha. The Buddha was nobody. He was a profound nobody. He was, he was profound. He, he saw that. Therefore, he was able to expand and radiate his uh, wisdom and compassion. So you, so with each person, uh, it doesn't mean that in our culture, uh, another culture is kind of enforced on you. In Tibet, you have to bow and you have to prostrate. In the Zen tradition, you have to do prostrations to the, to the Roshi and all of that. So it's kind of enforced in cultures that have been supporting that for centuries. But in ours, it looks a little phony. Uh, you know, when I say phony, I mean, it's just like kind of pretentious to to uh, do too much uh, um, so-called worship of the of the teacher or the. On the other hand, if uh, if if uh, if I have a student that needs that kind of uh, to do that, I don't stop them. If they need, if they want to work with me as a as somebody they're looking up to. Uh, as a, or across a to as a, what's called a Kalyanamitra, as a, it's called a companion in the virtue. But the Kalyanamitra could be a Sangha member or it could be the teacher. It's, it's, I think it's a very relative thing. The, the teaching person, if uh, he or she or they understand the, who they are, then, they're, there's, then they'll be able to understand what, where the student is and relate to them in such a way that fundamentally helps it. That's what was so. Uh, powerful about my uh, teacher, my uh, Trungpa Rinpoche, and about Kobun Chino Roshi. They, I was in two different places, and they both met me exactly where I was. It could not have been more perfect. It just couldn't. It's exactly what I needed to in order to keep going in a in a way that was uh, fundamentally helpful, rather than con rather than just more circles. And more questions about that, Elna, if you have it. To build a relationship to the Buddha, what do you recommend? Don't do anything. Meditate. Train your mind. Uh, you can't. You can't. You, the 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 teaching person uh, will relate to you where you're at if they're if they know what if they know who they are if they're clear about their own if they're no they're no longer nothing is no longer puzzling with them it's not going to be puzzling about you either so therefore but it's mutual you have to come towards the teaching person. And then you let them know how much you want to be taught, especially in our culture. We don't have the cultural construct of you get to go in a monastery just because your mom and dad sent you to study under the Buddha or study with the Roshi or study with the Tibetan Lama. The cultural context would support it there. We don't have that. So therefore, uh, the teaching person is uh, just a person who's teaching. That's why quite often teachers in the West will back out of being any, having any kind of credential. Because then, because they want to just interact with people more naturally, so um, sometimes too much of a credential, people think they're joining some kind of a cult or something, and it's uh, it's far from a cult. Uh, our, our situation is far from a cult. No one's required to do anything, including and there's no membership. I don't do I don't do any of that. Not that that's wrong. I just I think it's kind of. Um, mem membership is about controlling and I'm not interested in controlling unless it's controlling lightning. If I could do that, that'd be really a kick. Further question there. I feel like there's another one, especially coming out of Christ Christian tradition. There's all that authority stuff up there. And it's not that the authority situation shouldn't be worked with, but the way it needs to be worked with. And this is difficult for a non the uh, for people who are theists or been trained or raised or enculturated in a way to think there's a higher power. And there, there, that's that's a misunderstanding. And I'm not correcting all of the 12 step uh, people who have been helped by uh, AA and so on. Of course not. That's a powerful thing to uh, some people. That's the only way they can stay alive is to do that. But I'm saying that. If you're doing an awareness practice, look at the nature of authority. Look at the nature of authority. Uh, uh, it's just a really interesting area. Is there anyone in charge of anything? I mean, the whole structure, uh, it can be looked at. And I encourage each of you to, as Coben said to his students, uh, 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 get your own authority. He didn't say do it. If you, if you had met him, you could see uh, following him around is like uh, following a feather. He was practically uh, uh, practically not even uh, physical. 
his uh, his uh, presence was a uh, bodhicitta. Just just his uh, his presence was powerful, but not in the sense of being uh, rock like or solid. Uh, uh, Trungpa Rinpoche was more like a big rock, whereas Coben was more like feathers. So there, and he said, get your own authority. So what do you do? You look, how do you get your own authority? Well, first you see that the, the self-centeredness, the ego is unreal and gets its feeling of strength and power from belief, disbelief, and ignoring. Those aren't wrong. That's just people tend to do those. But less is better in that area if you can do it. Anything else, Alna? Yeah, how do you... How do you refrain from projecting onto the teacher that they're the new authority? Just watch the projection. You don't have to get rid. If you try to get rid of projections, they go underground. The next thing you know, they're slipping up through the floorboards and going between your toes. So don't get rid of anything. Just keep it in sight. Otherwise, uh, if you if you if you um, you you don't have to get rid of the projection. The very nature of projection is it's unreal. So as long as you see that you're uh, you're projecting onto the to the teacher as a as a new authority. Uh, if if the teacher is a true teacher, I mean they're teaching out of their realization and not out of some information or some kind of a cultural baggage from another century or another culture. Uh, and they're really teaching as this is, as it is, as it is, not separate. Then uh, very unlikely that they're going to pull rank on you, so to speak. In other words, say you should do that because I said so. That might have been necessary in ancient cultures, and some people teaching out of ancient cultures into this present time may think they still need to do that. Uh, I disagree. I don't think it's necessary. I think it's necessary to, to be genuine, to be kind and appreciate others, and appreciate people's confusion. Because if you can't appreciate people's confusion, you can't help them. Because you, you actually think they're wrong, they think they're wrong, and you think they're wrong. So you have to you have to appreciate the confusion. Confusion is awakening. It is awakening. It's not separate. It's not two. There is no polarity. All the polarities we see of up, down, back and forth, right and wrong, good and evil, existence, non-existence, uh, theism, non-theism. That's another one that's uh, quite interesting because if people get into non-theism, then they want to be atheists and they want to accuse uh, Zen Buddhists of being atheists. And that's, that's just a generalization. It's uh, not helpful. So there's, no, there's nothing to believe. There's no one to follow. But you could watch your beliefs, your spontaneous uh, grasping on things or your spontaneous rejection of things. Don't interfere with your own confusion. Because if you do, you strengthen the identity, which is already false, that's trying to get rid of that. It's just, uh, it's called circles. You go in circles. And what I say to everybody, and I'll say to you, because it was said to me, you can do this. You can do what? You can see the truth yourself. You can actually see it. Do I see the truth? No, that's not the point. Then we'd have to get in. What is truth? What am I seeing? And is there someone seeing anything? And this is why the teaching in Buddhism of emptiness is so powerful. Emptiness is not the final teaching, like some some uh, teachers uh, think that that's the final uh, frontier or something. But it's not. Ian Bowen. Ian. Can you explain a little bit of what pointing out instructions are? Yeah, I can say uh, it's going to show up differently with uh, different student-teacher relationships. And uh, it can be uh, you're just saying, uh, I do it all the time. I say nothing is separate. There isn't anything else. That's pointing out instruction. So I do it constantly. I mean, I'm saying it all the time. There isn't anything else. Don't believe a word I say. That's pointing out instruction. You do it. You see it. You see it. How do you do that? You train your mind to sit down and hold still and watch the movement. And the movement is the nature of confusion. But that which sees the confusion is not particularly disturbed at all, unless it contaminates and it gets, it gets contaminated by the confusion. This is called ego. So I say... Uh, pointing out instruction is, uh, I say, liberate yourself. Uh, what are you liberating yourself from? I don't know. You find out. Ian Bowling, is there a relationship between pointing out instructions and um, 
formless meditation practice like Shikantava? Please paraphrase your question. Is there a reason that you teach the... <laughs> go for it. Go, please come. Uh, Don't hesitate. Come on. <laughs> is there a reason that you use pointing instructions and also teach Shikantava together? Well, you you can't. It's a mutual thing. You, you you're not the pointing pointing out instructions uh, are gonna, is going to take some time. But the and the sitting practice, of course, is going to take some time. But what you're doing is you're training your mind. You're kind of uh, uh, you're kind of deconstructing the tendency for the mind to grasp onto this and reject that and ignore this. So you're sitting. You're actually watching the grasping. You're watching the rejecting. And you're watching the shutting down of passion, aggression, and ignorance without interfering. You hold the body still. And this allows you to see more clearly <clears throat> that uh, um, um, the, the way in which you continue to make things worse for yourself, to be, you know, make, make the very suffering that comes up on your nerve endings to actually uh, fight with that or make it worse or try to get rid of it or stop it. And so on. And so that the shikantaza part and then interacting with the teacher, talking to the teacher. Uh, when you ask questions, the teaching person, in this case, this person responds to you in such a way that doesn't make things worse for you or make you feel particularly uh, run away uh, and doesn't doesn't particularly solve the situation for you with some kind of uh, right and wrong answer. But but continues to put something in there that is helpful to you. It's like. It's like showing someone how to ride a bicycle. Say, no, don't know this. No, you'll be all right. You'll balance. You just need to uh, stop going this way and that way. If you just don't fall over, then you're balanced. That's pointing out instruction. So that brings the awareness into the dynamic you're dealing with. And, and everyone here, everyone here, everyone here is dealing with a different kind of imbalance. And it's about seeing the imbalance, not meddling with it. Don't meddle takes a while. Uh, as I sometimes say, and I'll say now, this is more pointing out instruction. Awakening is not an experience. It has experiential aspects to it, but it's not something that shows up. It's not an experience. You will never experience awakening. If you do, come and see and tell me about it. I'd love to hear your story of how you awoke or what awakening is to you. If you awaken, you won't need to talk to anybody, especially me. Ian Bowing, I've had, I mean, uh, since starting to sit, I've had plenty of experiential flashes. I, I mean, I understand it's not necessarily awakening because I definitely don't always feel like I'm awake. Um, how, how do I work with flashes like that, including things like past life flashes? Just, Just enjoy them. Or be irritated by them. And maybe it's a past life where you were a, you know, you were a, a rug salesman and somebody stole all your rugs. Probably irritating. Just, just notice it. Just be with it. Just let it, let it occur. Who needs rugs? <laughs> I'm saying you could, you could actually just be with whatever occurs. Because if you, if you open that door, if you open the door to the, what I would call the seventh consciousness and just allow, get, air that place out, let that place air out. It doesn't, you don't need a conclusion. You don't need to know in the general sense of, I know the sun is shining and now I know I'm awake. Now I'm, now I'm asleep. Now I know I'm hungry. No, 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 no. All this relative knowledge just clogs everything up. Have you ever thrown a whole pile of carrots at a fan that's running on high? Okay. <laughs> I was going to use that as an example, but. <laughs> I think I kind of get it, though. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Uh, just watch what moves. Just watch the fan. Do nothing with it. Watch it spin. You don't have to stop the spinning. It's, it's just an astonishing uh, understanding. Uh, uh, before you actually awaken to actually begin to discover that you do not have to meddle with this. If you're on the path your path is about awareness and clarity, and the clarity is about what? About the confusion. Clarity about clarity is useless. I mean, even though when you're clear about the confusion, then that is 
Uh, that is how it shows up. It's clarity about clarity. But you have to start with the confusion. And then it's like water poured into water. There isn't anything else. The elseness is gone. I don't care how much you add to it. It's still the same thing. But it's a realization. It's not a thought pattern, not a conclusion. You can't conclude this because you'll be sorely disappointed. It will fade. And the the, the things that rise up uh, in for you, are uh, uh, they won't last. Just watch them. They come and go. They're like commercials, you know, pretty soon the commercial's over and you get back to the actual movie. So would somebody read uh, Mayun's question? I saw she had one on the screen and I, I don't, I have a full screen, so I don't know how many other people are on here. Mark Bowing, uh, this is from Mayun. Uh, did you feel unconditionally loved by both of your teachers? Mark Bowing. Uh, yeah, I didn't recognize it as love, but yeah, oh, absolutely. Unconditionally, good word. <laughs> I have a question of my own, Mark Bowing. Um, I don't have a higher power anymore, but is there any equivalent of that in Buddhism? Yeah, you. You're it's your Buddha nature, but but it, but we have to see that. Uh, but the the ego mind is very very uh graspy in that area so you have to see that you have to first clarify that part and see that everything is empty of otherness uh including the there's no there's no one here the 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 voice the vocabulary the the life and death situation just flows uh much much easier when there's nobody concerned about outcomes there is no other past and future is an illusion more I have used the higher the idea of a higher power as something to ask for help yeah. staying sober. Well, yeah, and uh, you could so just I ask. Well, you yeah, you don't have to ask the higher power. You could just ask, or you could ask uh, the Buddha, or you could ask bodhisattvas, or, or you could ask uh, you could ask anything. It's it's, it's supplication. So nothing I nothing wrong with supplication. We're not saying that everything disappears and there isn't anybody else. We're saying that it's the grasping at elseness. It's something else that creates the issue. Of course, you're over there. I'm over here. And the boundary between us is completely genuine and real and needs to be respected. So the, it doesn't it doesn't separate things uh, any more than the separation that is already there, like the separation between two hands. You don't want to get them too separate because then they, they don't have a body to function with anymore. So I would say you should, and I'm saying this now, I would say it in an interview with you too, if you continue to use a higher power, ask your higher, talk to your higher power, of course. Anyone who's doing that, I don't meddle with anybody's style or uh, interaction there. I would say insofar as you can, don't necessarily clamp down on it like this is the only way and this is, I have to do this forever, no matter what. Uh, uh, no, don't don't set up standards for yourself. If the higher power is something that's helpful to you, by all means, talk to your higher power. I talk to well, I talk to angels, and I'm a Buddhist, but I I, I don't I do. go I around. Stopped asking. Go ahead. Go. You you. I, I stopped asking a higher power. I I do just ask. Okay. Well, if the higher power comes back, that's fine too. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Further questions? Teresa Bell. Um, when you answered Mayan's question. Yes. About um, unconditional, you di it didn't feel like love. Um, what did it feel like? Bell? Well, I couldn't see it because my own thought patterns, my own hope and fear was in front of it. So I, I you know, I thought that, I thought that, uh, uh, um, I thought that Trungpa Rinpoche was, uh, you know, was I was embarrassed. I was so embarrassed because I I felt like he could see who I was and he could see my confusion. He could see my narcissism. He could see my self-centeredness and it was just sucked. So I didn't know. I mean, looking at looking back on it is when I know that I received unconditional love from him. Of course. And same thing with Coben. With Coben was a, Coben was actually rude to me, deliberately rude. When I say deliberately, I don't think he sat around and thought about, I need to be rude to this guy. He just met me where I was at. And if you meet people where you're at, you're, you don't know how you're going to function. 
I have a plan for no one. Especially on you well, I can't figure out what she, you know, I wouldn't know what to plan for her. <laughs> but I'm saying, it, don't, when I say I don't have a plan, I'm not saying I can't cooperate with someone and say, yeah, let's, uh, let's do this or let's, let's get some groceries or I'm not saying that it's, it destroys the whole dynamic that you're somehow or some kind of a, a weirdo with no, uh, no past and future. I'm just saying there's no grasping at anything. So it's very, very simple relative truth that you're operating in. It is so relative that you don't, you're not clinging to your own life, even though it doesn't mean you're going to eat bad food uh, or, or live in such a way that's dangerous. It isn't like you're throwing your life away, but you're, but the attachment is not there. So therefore, uh, yeah, I felt, I felt, uh, Looking back on it, I realized that I, I got the kind of help I needed. And that's how that that love or that caring showed up is that, that he he was both of them or met me in, in the situation I was in and, and and met me in such a way that it helped me. With Coben, I had to give him permission. Trunk so, for I just he knew he had permission. Although he had to ask me, who inspires you before he started telling me what to do? And I just. Uh, as I've told this story before, I, because I was so tongue-tied and so embarrassed, I couldn't talk. All I wanted to say, oh, Rinpoche, you, I really like your book, Cutting Through, and I think you're one of the greatest teachers I've ever read about. And, you know, I'm just like, I can't say anything because I'm, I'm, I know I know, I already look like a fool. And I know my, I don't have very much self-knowledge, but I know well, know my well, self well enough to know that if I open my mouth, I'm going to make a fool of myself. And uh, he saw that I already was a fool. <laughs> so... He was very kind and just said, you can do it. Keep sitting. So instead, I just gestured. When he said, who inspired you? I just gestured. That's all I could do. And then he mocked me because he could see how terrified I was. And made, a, made a face like, me? <laughs> made it even more embarrassing. <laughs> there are a few more questions from YouTube. Shane Thompson asks... How did you support yourself and family from 1974 to the foundation of Sobu Koji? How did you balance that and practice? I worked in a factory, uh, painted some signs. Um, in 1980, I, I went to seminary. And so three months out, that uh, lost my factory job, which paid pretty well and had an, uh, insurance. So for the first seven years, I had, I had a pretty good situation. But then I... I uh, lost that. So then I, uh, because I'd learned to paint signs when I was in the Marine Corps in the graphic arts area. So I started a sign business, started with a, bo a box, went around door to door and spent three days uh, selling signs. Uh, one day going to get the materials. Uh, another day, a day and a half building or painting a sign and then back on the road again on Monday selling signs. I did that for years. Eventually got where I hired some people, uh, and I'll try to go through the whole thing now um, quickly. Um, had four or five employees and sold the business, moved to, married somebody else, um, moved to Minneapolis area and lived up there for 10 years and uh, tried to do a, a brokering uh, uh selling signs and having hiring a company to do it but there's no insurance in that and my wife at the time who's now passed away uh, had a heart condition and needed insurance i didn't because i particularly because i went to the va having been in the military and then um worked for two different different sign companies up there and uh, i don't know i don't know what else you'd want to know i just worked at different jobs and did the best i could to to do that can you think of anything else that i Sonia Bowling, I, I I wonder about the just the balance between your practice and household or being a household. Yeah. I think you've said maybe that. that's what he's asking. Any vacation time or anything was always. Yeah, I, I never took any more vacations. I just I would just go into retreat. If I had a vacation or I would just set it up so I would I would practice. Uh, did quite a few retreats and then also uh, daily, not daily, but. Uh, couple times a week uh, and, and at least once a month have an all day sitting and, and host that wherever I was at, either in a place that the, that our community, which started in, well, really started in 74, 
uh, and then uh, was in a storefront downtown in Battle Creek for a number of years, five, six years, and then moved into somebody's house. And then I just went back and forth like that. And uh, as I said earlier, I started uh, one of the first people I practiced with uh, was Bruce in 1974, Bruce and Terry. We were in sat all day sitting with them. Um, I'm not sure if there's some specific thing about livelihood and so on. It's just kind of what everybody's doing. You need to have a job unless you can get somebody to fund you. Like sometimes uh, people in the, the monastery who want to pra want to do extensive practice do uh, a GoFundMe or something. I think uh, I think Shoto's asking for help right now to so that he can just not work for a year. So that he can just practice and just practicing here means a lot of practice. If you haven't looked into it, it means you're going to be sitting six and a half hours a day, weekdays, and part of the Saturday. But it's a lot of practice. And the reason I set it up that way, I want, want that to be available to people is seems to be take a lot of intense, uh, not only sitting awareness practice in this in the way that it's not here. And also it takes a lot of interacting with community and and studying together just like this situation is uh and not that there aren't teachers who do this of course there are lots of them but probably not as much as we do we get together every day every day sometimes several times a day and talk to each other ask questions discuss uh material that we're studying whether it's the 30 verses or, or dogan uh, dogan zenji is a Shobaganzo, he's been sitting that on Wednesdays at noon for a long time. And this, and then people's jobs come in and say, well, I can't be there. I've got to work. And so then people come and go and do the best they can, but there's no right or wrong to it. People, people do as much as they can or as much as they need to, or as far as jobs, it's a, being a householder and on this kind of a path is difficult when there's no culture that basically supports it. If you go to Japan, uh, communities, uh, even though they don't go and attend uh, the temple necessarily very much, they really support them. They really, my son Mason, who lived in a in a, uh, Coben's uh, family temple there for a couple of years, and worked. Uh, that's where he went through his training at. And uh, and he would go out and do a do like a, a memorial service or something like that for where. Coben's brother, uh, Hojo-sama, trained him to do this. So he would go in, he could speak enough Japanese to go in and have a group of families or might have been having a 100-year anniversary of someone who passed away who was a great-great-grandfather or something. In Japan, they do that. They do one every year and then every five years and every 10 years. So they don't forget you when you die. And then uh, and they also drink a lot. So that they would drink a lot of sake and eat a lot of uh, uh, sushi. and then And then he would he would come back to the temple uh, with uh, money with an envelope, you know, five, $600 that he would keep. He would, that would be his, he wouldn't have to give it to uh, the, the monastery or the temple rather. So different in that situation where I was over here, we also get help from, from uh, Sangha people who want to support this situation. We get a tremendous amount of help. We couldn't have a monastery if it weren't for the generosity of people who do have jobs and are working and slice off a little bit of their money to, to send and we uh you know so a lot of it is about that is there a further uh question on that uh is it sean shane yeah shane kind of rambled on a little bit there thank you Brian. not another question from shane but a question from kyle okay kyle he asks can you speak more about what emptiness is yes a simple way of talking about emptiness it's a it's a, a teaching uh um it's not the final stage but it's a what would we call final but it is a, an aspect of it and the first uh, the best way to talk about emptiness is uh things are empty of what we think they are and that help happens on deeper levels um we have a, we look at something and we have an idea of what that is we we name it we classify it we evaluate it we have some judgments to it and what that fundamentally is, uh, its its fundamental nature is empty uh, of all of our conclusions. So that's the kind of uh, relative kind of emptiness that begins to show up. And as you go along, it's called a, uh, Sanskrit is shunyata, of course. As you probably know that if you're asking the question, 
so it is uh, so the the fundamental emptiness that we're beginning we're moving towards as we practice is uh, empty of uh, self and empty of other and so empty of self is a little easier to see we eventually see that there's no the skandhas form feeling perception concept and consciousness the way it conceptually talking about how a human being a human life shows up to cover all the the form the feeling perception through all the sense fields uh, concepts of the thinking process and and all the six sense fields that are all those objects are coming through into those sense fields all the time smell hear hearing tasting seeing smelling or all of that coming together all at once you know, creates the illusion of a separate being but when that is investigated through awareness practice we and it can be a little uh, difficult but when we see that that what we thought was here is empty of that. It's something there, but it's not a separate being anymore. It's not separate from anything. Ultimate understanding is not separate from from itself. So the ego is still there, but it's just unreal. And it's a it's just as unreal as the as the stick, maybe less real than this uh, stick. And then we look out and see that everything we see that we thought there was somebody else who was doing well, or how somebody else is doing really. Ter terribly or somebody else who is being born somebody else is dying all the relative things that are happening is uh, uh it is empty of your perception your imputation your ideas your judgments your evaluations your conclusions about it including your own hope and fear including including your own anger and delight empty of it it's unreal it has a an, a relative reality but the relative reality is just that it's relative dependently arisen so it has no longevity other than what you give to it. Uh, so it doesn't, it, it just comes and goes where what is real, what is fundamentally real doesn't do anything. It doesn't, nothing happens. It does not come and go because it, it, it is never, and it can't disappear because it's never uh, been born. So it's unborn unceasing. So it's unborn. It's empty in the sense that it, is, it, it has not come into existence. Body minds come into existence. Who you actually are doesn't come and go. It's like a cosmic joke. It needs to be realized. And that's part of the path. The path, uh, empty things are empty. Uh, like Coben, uh, Coben's translation of the Heart Sutra's mantra, the Heart Sutra's mantra is Gate, Gate, Paragate, Parasam, Gate, Bodhisattva, or empty. A gone, gone, completely gone, completely awake. So be it, is the conventional translation. And his was, Falling apart, falling apart, falling apart. Uh, nothing to do. And then I think there was another phrase on the end of that that he said, uh, some people quote him as saying, everything all at once. Which is another way of saying, a relative way of saying, by uh, stealing the meaning of time and saying, nothing separate. It's just this. And you can realize this or not, or do something else. There's, there's uh, merry-go-rounds and roller coasters and, uh, and various kinds of sports, I'm not taking away from it. There's all kinds of things you can do to pass your time away until the body slowly goes back into the elements or quickly goes back into the elements these days. Not a good place for humor, but it's true. It's, you know, death comes without warning. This body will be a corpse. At that time, the Dharma or the truth, whether it's a Buddha Dharma or not, needs to be the truth, will be your only help. So practice it now. See the truth now. And start with your own mind, your own mind stream by looking at the wall. Kyle asks, uh, is emptiness the same as nothingness? No. Not. Nothingness means nothing's there. Emptiness means uh, that what you thought was there is not there there's something there find out what it is i'll help you with your permission or i'll leave you alone you can do it yourself shall we dedicate the merit do that thank you may the merit of this penetrate into all places so that we and every sentient being together can realize the buddha's way Sanchi, 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 Sanch